we're continuing a series this morning called Show Me It's Real. And we've been saying that too often Christians are known for the, uh, the political stances they take, for the beliefs that they, they defend, uh, rather than the character they possess or the good deeds that they do. So we're going to the letter of James, and he's walking us through a number of ways that we can evaluate our faith and see what real, genuine faith looks like. And today we're talking about how to tear down the walls of prejudice. Now, levels of prejudice exist in almost every facet of the way that we uh, interact socially, relationally with one another uh, in our world today. Uh, I read this week of uh, a niche dating site that prides itself in just, uh, well, it prides itself in the attractiveness of its members. Uh, So much so that when you uh, apply, you you are discouraged from applying unless you are particularly attractive. And when you fill out the application form, you're not actually automatically accepted. You post all of the pictures, and for the first 48 hours, all of the other members vote on you and determine whether you are attractive enough to fit. Uh, Only 20% of applicants are actually accepted. And they, they wanted to do their own thing. And, and maybe that far people would have said, well, I guess it's just, that's, that's their thing. This is kind of the, the, the dating site for particularly beautiful people. But they got some flack back in 2010 after, uh, it, it happened in January. And what happened was that members started posting uh, pictures of themselves after the Christmas festivities and there were complaints from fellow members. Uh, the complaints were around the fact that it appeared that members, well, when they first joined the site may have been beautiful. They had gained a few extra pounds over Christmas, let themselves go a bit, ate a little bit too much, and they were actually posting complaints to the site, what are you going to do about this? And uh, yes, you guessed it, more uh, evaluation and assessment took place. 5,000 members worldwide removed from the site. Now, that's just, that's just a dating site, but you know that prejudice of all kinds takes place in, in not just dating sites, but in all areas of our society. Hiring managers, for instance, were surveyed. 57% said that a qualified but unattractive candidate would have a harder time getting a job. Uh, They said 66% of them would hesitate to uh, offer a job to someone who, again, was qualified but overweight. A full 84% said they would think twice about hiring a qualified but older candidate. So those areas of prejudice taking place, and these are the hiring managers themselves just being honest about uh, their own prejudices. And we haven't even begun, at least in this, uh, at, in, in some of the examples, we're not even talking yet about racial prejudice, which is a huge problem in our society today, or the various kinds of bias and discrimination against uh, people with uh, various uh, special needs, disabilities, or uh, challenges. In the U.S. on Monday, they celebrated Juneteenth, Juneteenth the uh, celebration of uh, emancipation from slavery. Uh, on, thir- on Wednesday, we had National Indigenous Peoples Day here in Canada. 
laws are being reformed, steps are being taken, but how, does, how is it that someone changes the human heart? How can God bring a deeper, more uh, substantial change in not only regulating people's behavior through laws, but changing how we actually see one another, how we actually relate to one another, and treat each other with value, with respect, and honor? Those are the kinds of questions that uh, I think we've always needed to address. We need to address them today more than ever. And they're the questions that our passage this morning uh, deals with uh, from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So I want to encourage you to turn there with me, if you would, on the Black Church Bibles on the rack under the seat in front of you. It's on page 950. And uh, if you keep that open in front of you, as not only I read it, but as we walk through this morning's message, you'll, have, you'll be able to see what I'm saying, what God's word is saying, and uh, have your attention there. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down by, or sit down by, at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are, be, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Now, I was very gratified in reading today's passage and just looking at, at the layout of it because James starts with a topic sentence, he gives an example and then he gives three points followed by a conclusion. I, I read this and I think James is my kind of preacher. I, I just, I love the way he does that. And so uh, we will walk through that. Um, starting off with one, verse one, it is his, his thesis. It's his big idea, his main point. He starts off with, my brothers show no partiality. In doing so, he uses a word that uh, when you hear partiality, we don't use that word very much. Uh, it is... Uh, show no prejudice, uh, show no, no bias. Uh, it, it's, it's a word that is expressing when you make an assessment based on what you see. Uh, the, the root word has, has this sense of looking at the externals and making a judgment about someone. Uh, so maybe you see how they are 
uh, they're dressed, how they look, their resume, their credentials, their connections. You are looking at the externals of what you see in that person and you make certain assumptions. You, you target your behavior towards them based on what you see. Now, they obviously didn't have elite dating sites back in the first century, so James gives an example from his own context. And it's one that's particularly gratifying to me because uh, we don't have a lot of passages addressed directly to greeters and ushers. So if you've ever served as a greeter and usher, like this is your passage, this is all for you, uh, and you should take particular note that James kind of singles you out, gives you a little um, an example, an illustration that, that you kind of have in the back of your mind as you are uh, serving in that way. Now, uh, two men arrive at the church and the greeters and the ushers have to, have to seat them. They need to uh, respond to them. And the first man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothing. Now, gold rings, uh, I, I got called out by my family, Dad, you're wearing a gold ring, this is about you. Now, so in the first century, people didn't usually wear gold rings. Men were not known for their jewelry. But up at the upper echelons of Roman society, gold rings were a, a means of showing just how much uh, status and wealth that you possessed. And so when this guy comes in wearing a gold ring, people are stopping and looking. They recognize we've got someone important, someone special, someone who's got a lot of money. Similarly, the word for fine clothing here, it didn't mean that he just managed to, to uh, use an iron that morning. No, he has, he has clothing that just screams, I've got money. It's, it's particularly um, speaking to his, his wealth and the way he expresses that by the way that he's dressed. Now, the ushers see this person. They look at how he's dressed. They see the ring. They, they recognize, boy, this person is really rich, and they fawn over him and, and find a special seat for him. They're, 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 they're working to... to um, usually people in... in uh, in these places, they would sit as they gathered for worship, typically in benches. It, he's probably got a special chair. Come over here. It seems he's been given a, a special place uh, set apart for him to uh, have seating that corresponds to the price tag of his outfit. Now, the second man is called poor, and it's actually the word. Uh, it's not just, you know, he, he's, he's not rich. He's, he's poor. It's, it's the word for destitute. He has very little. He is scraping by. Uh, this is per someone who is of in great need. And uh, when his clothes are described as shabby, that is also probably underselling it. Uh, the only other time this word is translated in scripture, it's translated as filthy. So his words are not only worn, but they are dirty. He probably only has one set of clothing, uh, when he is able to get work, he is a, uh, a day laborer. Uh, he has probably been living 24-7 in these clothes. They smell, they look awful, they are worn. And, and James points out the fact those ushers and greeters, they may have uh, signed up enthusiastically to serve in their roles, but they treat this person uh, significantly worse. Uh, they give him two options in this case of where they can, he, can, 
he, he can, how he can attend. Either he can stand in the corner, maybe off by the washrooms there uh, behind uh, the, the, uh, the regular rows of seats, or you can sit at my feet. The idea being, hey, we've got these great new chairs. We don't want you to get those dirty, and, by, and, and we just happen to be looking down on you anyway, so you sitting on the floor kind of works for us. And, and so James has, has, has kind of painted that picture. According to verse 4, that's how you end up with a divided congregation. When you begin to make assessments of how you treat people based on uh, what you can see of them, uh, you let prejudice build walls between you, and it says you have become judges with evil thoughts. We had a period here at Grace where the famed, uh, for, for people that know hockey, we had Cujo. We had uh, the famed Toronto Maple Leafs goalkeeper, uh, Curtis Joseph, attend our church here. And there were, some, there were some interesting things about that period in the life of our church, but I, one of the things that stood out to me, I remember talking to one of our, uh, one of the, our, our members here at Grace, and he very sincerely and earnestly explained to me that he really felt that God had laid it on his heart to be uh, an encourager in Joseph's life, uh, to kind of come alongside him and, and, and spiritually lift him up in his faith and, and be, a, be a, a real mentor and a, and a support to him. And, and you couldn't help but notice, like he just sounded so sincere and earnest about this. But as I was, he was telling me, I'm thinking, I've known you for about five years, and I've never seen you be like an, an encourager or a, a mentor in anybody else's life. You're telling me that a star hockey player arrives at our church, and all of a sudden you are some like super mentor, discipler guy. Like, where did that come from? How is it this 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 calling has just uh, descended upon your life? Like all of a sudden, that just it just never added up to me. And and you know. Um, we can laugh at, at the dating site and this guy, you know, about the hockey player. And there's something in all of us that, you know, you can, your, your sin takes over and you do things that you just think, oh my goodness, what did I do? But I think we have to come to terms with that sense that let's do some examination of where prejudice might exist in our own hearts. When you look at someone, how are you tempted to judge them? How are you tempted to make an assessment and treat them in a certain way based on what you see? Uh, do you look down on other nationalities or ethnicities? Uh, do you get impatient with someone when they speak with an accent? Uh, do you keep your distance from people with special needs or disabilities? Are you drawn to the rich and powerful? Do you idolize the beautiful people? You might think of those things and think, I've got the vague sense that maybe some of those things are not great. Maybe this is kind of, you know, not really the way that Jesus would have done it. You might have some, uh, some gnawing sense that maybe this isn't, isn't amazing, but still not see how completely out of line and off, offside this is with God's will, with God's purposes, and God's word. 
And so James is having given the illustration, told you what the, his main point is, he's now gonna walk you through three reasons. He's gonna try and convince you three reasons why you need to deal with this in your life, probably at a level that you haven't been dealing with in your life up until this point. And being a very neat and uh, organized preacher, he gives us a theological reason, he gives us a practical reason, and then he gives us a scriptural reason. And then he's going to give us a conclusion. So let's, let's start with the theological reason that you need to deal with your prejudice. And it's this, because God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. God does have an opinion about these things. God does weigh in on these matters, and God consistently singles out the have-nots as special objects of his grace. That the people that the world tends to exclude, God tends to include. We need to deal with our prejudice because God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Let's take a look at this. In verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom whom he has promised to those who love him? I want you to just slow down. If you've got the Bible in front of you, I want you to just look at the actual words that he's using because they're, they're important words to get your head around. First, who does God choose to be on his team? Who does he single out? Well, it's the poor. That's talking about the people who were usually left out. The people that don't make it onto the niche dating sites for reserved for beautiful people. He, he's, he has his special eye of favor, not, not to say he's closing the door to everybody else, but is, if God's going to choose a favorite, he's, he's going with the losing team. He, he has his eyes on those whom the world excludes. Now, what does God choose for them? What's his plan for them? It says he sets them apart to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. It's saying he is uniquely blessing them with spiritual riches. God has a special favor, special consideration to spiritually bless, spiritually invest in those who are materially uh, 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 disadvantaged and, and on the receiving end of that. And if you are to look around globally at what is happening in the church today, you see this. Has anybody noticed that the, the church has made the greatest inroads in the poorest nations? It just, that, that is a reality of our world today. Anybody notice that the, the, the gospel has made greatest progress among people of color? That, that's another reality of our, our, our world today. A anybody notice that when people share their testimonies, very seldom do you hear the testimony, things were going amazing. I was, I was just voted in to the, this uh, beautiful people dating site and everybody loved me. I got a promotion at work. Things were amazing and I just thought, Things are going so amazing, I, I'd want to look into to, to faith as well. That, that's, anybody hear, hear a baptismal testimony like that? I get, I, I've, I've yet to hear one. It is, my life was falling apart. Things, I was going through a time of great difficulty, and God met me. God ministered to me. In my poverty, 
I found spiritual riches. That is not just a coincidence. This, James reveals for us, is at the heart of God's plan. And maybe you think, that's not very fair. I thought God was more democratic. I thought it was just, just all equal. That sounds like reverse discrimination. And if you're thinking that, take that up with God, but that's what the scripture teaches. That, that is God's plan and purpose. And, and here's how it comes back full circle to where we began. When you, usher, greeter, <laughs> take that guy who's got the you know, old, worn out, kind of smelly clothes, and you think, oh, this really should be a value village. You need to get rid of those or just do away from them altogether. When you sit him on the floor or send him to the back of the room because you want the good seats to be reserved for the important people, you are actually at exact cross-purposes with the plan of God. God is trying to uniquely bless him. God has maybe set out that he's going to be the next elder in the church. Maybe he's going to be the one who brings revival in this congregation, and you've sent him to the back or told him to sit at your feet. We're getting in the way and the plan and the purposes of God. Now, the end of verse 5 says that the promise is for those who love him. So please don't misunderstand me and think, oh, this is automatic. If I lose my job, I'm going to just be killing it spiritually. No, it, it, there, there is a response, but there, there is this interplay that takes place. It's not automatic, but God's purposes are clear. And there's a reason why it works like this. Think this through with me. Think what you understand about the gospel and think about human nature. You tell a beautiful, high-achieving, elite person that they're a sinner, that they don't, they don't measure up, that tell them that the only way they can have a relationship with God is to admit that they're lost and they need spiritual welfare from a poor savior who was killed on the cross as a criminal. And they'll either think you're crazy or they'll be offended. That just, that, that is going against all of their experience. They, they think that they are at, on the top, that they are, they are winning the game of life. How dare you tell them that they have somehow fallen short? How dare you tell them that they need rescuing? You give that same message to someone who has been kicked to the curb, someone who has experienced the difficulties and the pain, the hardships of life, who has, who has been on the receiving end of people's exclusion, and you tell them that there is a God who receives sinners, a God who rescues those who have, who have been broken and lost. And they're not offended by that message. They receive it with gladness and they shout hallelujah. And so as we recognize that God has special uh, kindness and consideration, that he has uniquely chosen uh, those whom our world often excludes and leaves out, it changes how we see people. It changes our anticipation about what God might be doing in this person's life. Now we want to give them a special seat and we don't want to send someone else off. You know, it, we're, we're not talking about that, but we do have a special consideration and honor, a, a special anticipation and expectation 
of what God might do in their life. Someone put it like this. The rich may have faith, but the poor must have faith. As Craig Blomberg put it this way, in the spiritual long run, poverty is a distinct advantage despite the present misery it may inflict. You're not going to hear that in the world, and you might even struggle to believe that. That might feel counterintuitive, but it is profoundly scriptural. Prejudice begins to come down when we begin to see how God has leveled the playing field. When God reverses the messed up values of our world. People who are naturally strong tend to be spiritually weak. People who are naturally weak tend to be spiritually strong because that muscle of faith has to be exercised. That, that, that clinging to the Lord is something that is not, is not optional or extracurricular. People feel the need for him, and so they call out to him all that much greater. And that, again, that should change how we see people. It should Read, undo the calculations that we typically make and give us new eyes, new hearts, and new ways of uh, understanding people and God's purposes for them. So we need to deal with our prejudice because God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. We also need to deal with our prejudice because our celebration of uh, the rich and the powerful is killing us. What here we're talking about is not only do the people who have it all together, not only are they less likely to respond to the gospel, but they are often the ones who are most antagonistic of our faith. That they are the ones who are uh, causing, uh, in, in many cases, difficulties and challenges for those who uh, follow Jesus. So we need to deal with our prejudice because celebrating the rich and the powerful is killing us. Now, this is James's basic point in verses six to seven. You had a, a church of mostly poor people, uh, and they were being regularly persecuted and oppressed by uh, the rich ruling class. Uh, it describes that they were being. One of the problems was they were being hauled into court. They were being dragged into uh, the court, and then, as today. It, Court cases were never just a matter of who's right and who's wrong. Uh, despite the statues of justice being blind, uh, judges could be bribed. The person with the biggest legal team often wins. And, and, and so people in, in the church that James was addressing, they were losing their lands. They were uh, losing their, uh, their standing because they were being dragged to court by the rich. When they weren't being hauled into court, they were being oppressed in other ways. Uh, they say that at, at, at this, in this period, up to one-third of the Roman Empire, if you'll remember, were, uh, were slaves. Uh, and, and this wasn't racial-based slavery. That came later. This was um, people of all ethnicities and nationalities were uh, made slaves, um, but in James's congregation, a sizable number of people would have been slaves or day laborers. And uh, then, as today, they could be uh, 
uh, subject to abuse. They could be underpaid. They could be mistreated. On top of all that, verse 7 asks, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? See, the people in control, the people that would come in with the, with the golden rings, I shouldn't point to my old ring here, you know those people with the golden rings. The people <laughs> that had the golden rings were the ones that enforced emperor worship, for instance. They were the ones, because they held all the power, they were the ones who were suspicious of these new startup religions like Christianity. They were the ones who were doing the persecuting. They were the ones who were, you know, they've got a lot to lose. They, they would bring their power to bear on those who gathered. And James is saying, given all that you know about how you have been treated, why on earth are you giving special honor and attention to this guy who comes in dressed like he's kind of one of those people that's been causing so much trouble? What, 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 what are you thinking with that? Now, if he was asking those questions in the first century, what would he say today? Because not only are the rich and powerful responsible for the kind of oppression and injustice, again, not all of them, but that it's a reality of our life today as then that uh, the, the rich and powerful are responsible for uh, uh, much uh, oppression and injustice in our world today. But in addition to that, James didn't have to address the celebrity culture that now takes that uh, influence of the rich and powerful and puts it in your screens, your phones, almost 24-7. Maybe you're thinking, Paul, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. Let me just do some quick math with you. Um, how many of you, um, how many would say, I'll just do a quick run through my Instagram feed. How many of you are following, um, how, how many Old, unattractive people are you following on Instagram these days? Anybody? Not a, not a lot, right? Um, how many, if you, go, when, if you were to go through the, the uh, channels you're subscribed to on YouTube, how many people with special needs are you subscribed to? How many of your favorite actors are poor and marginalized? How many of your influencers share your faith and your values? you begin to think through the people that are influencing you, the people that you are being exposed to who are speaking into your life, the people you have invited in to be, yeah, you're the people that I want, I want to look at all day. And you're thinking, what am I doing? We all laughed at that niche dating site. What? That's crazy. You mean they cut members because they, they gained a few extra pounds after Christmas? Who does that? Boy, those are really evil people. Oh, no, I look at my phone. I'm doing the exact same thing. We're doing that. And it's corrupting our values. It's shaping us, changing us. We start thinking about things that we didn't think about before. We start believing things that we never believed before. We start feeling embarrassed about certain values that are clear in Scripture. 
but we're kind of embarrassed to hold them because everybody on the screen seems to be against them. What is that? What we've done is we've taken that guy with the fine clothing and the gold ring and we've given a special place of honor in our lives. And James is saying, it's killing you. It's changing you. You need to deal with, with that because it is affecting your faith. You cannot grow in maturity without dealing with your media intake. You cannot move forward with God, develop conviction, be the man, woman, child of God whom God has created you to be without dealing with what you are feeding your mind throughout your day. Can't do it. And so James is addressing all of that and saying this is all part of the picture of how we uh, deal with our prejudice. So we need to deal with our prejudice because God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Oh, we need to deal with our prejudice because celebrating the rich and powerful is killing us. And finally, we need to deal with our prejudice because we're commanded to love our neighbor. Watch what it says here in verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, James is quoting from Leviticus 19.18, but he calls it the royal law or the king's law, the, the law of the kingdom, because this is the law that Jesus singled out as a, a summary description of God's will for how we treat one another. He, he's pointing to this. He, he, they, they, they recognize Jesus elevated this Leviticus 19.18 law and said, this is really the pinnacle of how we are to relate to one another uh, and how we are to treat, treat people today. But you know, if you've been around the church for any length of time, and James's readers knew, that the way people heard this was they'd hear it and they'd want to kind of change it a little to make it easier, right? They wanted to restrict it a little bit. So instead of uh, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, they wanted to say you shall love your family as yourself or you shall love your friends as yourself. You shall love people of the same ethnicity as yourself. Those, all of those kinds of commands felt far more um, easy, to, easy to handle. They felt more affirming. They felt more manageable and attainable. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you restrict the royal law, my king's law like that, you're, you're, you're off base. You don't get it. And so he tells him a story about someone who helped a disabled foreigner with no money. And he said, if you want to get what I'm talking about, that's it. That, that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about love your neighbor as yourself. Love that I'm talking about here is, is how we deal with people, we serve people without borders. We bring down the the prejudice, and we throw it to the side, and we begin to treat people uh, the way God sees people. We begin to respond in ways that, that would glorify him. And I don't think there's anybody here that would say, 
Uh, no, I've, I've got a problem with that, Paul. I disagree with that. Like nobody's, nobody, I, I don't see anybody kind of shaking their head and saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm for hating people. I'm for hating my neighbor. No, we all nod and agree with that. And James knows that we're tempted to hear this message and say, yeah, there's, that's, that's a good point. I'll try and keep that in mind maybe. James knows that would be our temptation to just kind of treat this like that. And, and so he gives us a, a conclusion, verses 12 to 13. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Watch what's happening here. James is ending his message, as scripture often does, with a double-edged sword. On the one hand, he calls God's will the law of liberty. God's word sets us free. It can release us from the messed up junk values that we have inherited from our world and set us free from them. It can help us to see people without prejudice. It can set us free from all the baggage that would bring us down. But here's the thing. The call to confront our prejudice and relate to people with a Jesus kind of love, this isn't some optional extracurricular section of the Christian life. This isn't, well, if you get around to this, this is kind of be nice. No, this is so central to Jesus' heart and God's will for our lives that he says, if we've shown no mercy, we will receive no mercy. If this is how you're understanding the Christian life, treating people like this with these differences based on how they look, then you may not have gotten the Christian life altogether. You may, you may be parked in that category of people that Jesus says they're going to be there at the judgment saying, Lord, Lord. And he says, I, I never knew you. You never knew me. You, you were busy getting religious or something, but you didn't get my heart at all. You just didn't. Like, what, what you were doing, that, that kind of love that excludes people, that kind of love that just has your eyes on your own people, that, that, just, that's, that doesn't work for me. You missed it. You, you somehow didn't get the, the, the memo because this is who I am. I am a God who breaks down borders. I am a God who breaks down walls. And if you are following me, then you are joining me in that work. You are following me in, with that heart. So what do you do about that? James gives us a hint with his thesis statement all the way back in verse 1. He writes this, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Why does he do that? Why not just say, show no partiality, it's wrong. Or he could have said, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Those two things are incompatible. He could have done that. But he doesn't, and scripture so often doesn't do this. Because just telling people that it's wrong doesn't tend to change people. Just ask Adam and Eve. It takes something different than that to just tell people that it's wrong. James confronts people who are giving glory to the rich and powerful. 
He confronts people who are giving glory to the beautiful and talented, giving glory to the ones with the gold rings and the expensive clothes. And in the, at the top of all of that, he says, remember, our faith is in Jesus, the Lord of glory. He's the one that we are supposed to give the glory to. And remember who that Jesus is. Giving glory to Jesus is choosing to follow the one who is destitute and homeless. It's seeing the glory of the one who is rejected and died as a criminal. Giving glory to him is embracing the one who is condemned as a criminal, treated as a fraud, died without a following. You can't recognize who Jesus is. You can't see his poverty, his homelessness. You can't see his rejection, his rejected followers who rejected him, the ones who left him on his own. You can't see him kick to the curb and say, yes, he is my Lord of glory. And spend your week obsessing over rich, beautiful, talented, and successful. Those are moving in two totally different directions. He's confronting us with, with who we will give glory to who we will recognize as worthy of glory. And the message is, if we're going to change how we see people, we are going to have to think about Jesus more, and we are going to have to think about the elites less. We have to be captured by the true Lord of glory. As you do that, let God transform your values and change how you see people. Believe that he's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. He's got his eyes on them. With Christ, weakness is strength and strength is weakness. He reverses the calculation. Learn to see the people who struggle as special objects of God's grace. See the people who the world ignores and recognize God's hand is upon them. Don't you see the need I think our, need, our world would teach us, yeah, see people with need, see them with sympathy. God undoes all that. He says, no, see them with honor. Anticipate what you might learn from them. Anticipate what you might see of the heart of God reflected in them. As you begin to see the poor with God's eyes, see the rich with his eyes as well. Instead of glorifying them, see them with sympathy. Now that you recognize that strength is weakness and weakness is strength, you can begin to see not, oh, I want to I be like them. I'm idolizing them. Now you begin to see them with pity and sympathy because you recognize, no, those, those things that our world celebrates are actually obstacles to seeking God and growing in faith. It changes us. Recognize the spiritual liabilities that beauty and achievement can bring. And don't let your media feed look like that elite dating site that I was talking about. It it changes you. It's affecting your values. Recognize the voices that our world ignores. 
And as you hear that royal law that Jesus gives us in scripture, recognize that it comes from Jesus as marching orders to live out our faith, to respond to him in actual practical demonstrations of our faith and love for him. So don't let this be theoretical. If you're sitting on the bench, start serving. Look at a very, the very most basic form of love is to reach out and to, to serve. And if you are here and if this is home for you, we want you to be serving here. We want you to express your love in a, just a simple, practical way. Be one of those greeters and ushers. Don't, don't be one of the ones that James was singling out. But yeah, say, I, I want to serve. If there are people in this room you've never met, start talking to them. If there are people that you have built walls between based on appearances, tear down those walls. Deal with that. We heard earlier there's going to be a webinar this Tuesday at 7.30 for people with, uh, with special needs, with, with behavioral challenges. Uh, I hope that that call is filled with people. I hope that we are a people not only of compassion, but we recognize the heart of God is to recognize those whom our world ignores. I hope that is our heart, and I hope that, yeah, that there are uh, a full group of people showing up on Tuesday night on a call to, uh, to learn. How can I be a part of this? How can I understand uh, some of the challenges uh, better? And then let's treat Jesus as the Lord of glory. Let's show that mercy triumphs over, ju- over judgment. Let's see people the way God sees them. Let's love people the way Jesus loved us. And let's look to him in prayer for strength as we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your solution to this world's injustice is so much broader and deeper than anything our world knows. Help us to live this. Take these truths by your spirit and change us. Help us to honor the people our world rejects. Give us sympathy for those our world celebrates. Shape us by your word. And may Jesus truly get the glory in our hearts. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.